Hey friends, welcome back to the podcast. Just a quick disclaimer, this episode is another one of my life lesson series. It's where I'm sharing personal stories from my life. And I just wanted to let you know that if you are dealing with death right now or you're feeling a little bit emotional in regards to the loss of somebody that you've recently had or maybe you haven't sorted that for yourself, this episode may trigger you. So I just wanted to give you a heads up. I discuss in detail my experience losing my husband. And so I don't want to upset anybody, but I do want to honor my story and stand in my truth. So I honor you for listening. Thank you so, so much. It's the longest episode I've ever recorded. And I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello, welcome back to the podcast, my friends. How are we? If you have tuned into this episode, welcome back to the Life Lesson series. I haven't done one in some time now. I've been on a roll with all my other episodes and life is good. And this is a bit of a hard episode. It's a bit of a sad story, even though I've overcome it and I feel amazing and you know, I feel like I fully have healed it. It's still something that, you know, I haven't, I don't talk about all the time and there's limited times where I bring it up. And it's so funny because we're actually approaching crazy timing and I didn't plan it. I promise I didn't plan it. I do my life lesson series podcast when I feel like I want to share something about my private life that needs to be uncovered and talked about. And I intuitively feel what episode I need to do. I intuitively feel when I need to release what. So I don't go off a crazy structure. I really just feel my way through what podcast episode I need to release, what the market wants, what my clients have asked for, and where I'm at, really. And so I've been in such an amazing place. And, you know, not that I can't talk about sad stuff or hard stuff when I feel good, but it has felt really at the back of my mind. And on Sunday, May 6th, is my husband's who passed uh, anniversary his death anniversary so he died on May 6 2007 and the way Americans we do um, dates is five for May six for the date and then 2007 so he died on five six seven right Australians flip it and they do you know um, day month so every five six seven uh, sorry every fifth of every six of May um, that's his anniversary so it's been 13 years since my husband Gio passed away. His name is Giovanni Lopez. Beautiful, beautiful soul. And I can't believe it's 13 years. And so, as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast, my Life Lessons series podcasts are all about snippets of my life. Uh, I don't share this. I haven't talked about this anywhere else to this depth. And if I'm honest, this Life Lessons series was made for me to have an outlet to share my story. I really want to write a book, y'all know, uh, about my life. Not a confidence book, that's coming. That's the one I'm writing now and getting out now. But my, the book about my life story, and you know, it could all be the same book, really. But I, I felt so much pressure, uh, and I said this before on the podcast, I felt so much pressure to you know, tell my story. And it feels like such a big story because there's so many crazy stories interwoven in my life that... It felt too big. It felt too big, too hard. How the hell am I going to tell my story? How the hell am I going to write my book? I can't do it. And so instead of me not doing it, I decided I would do the Life Lesson series in my podcast and share snippets of my life so that first and foremost, you understand who it is I am and what it is I've been through. And second, and most important, so that if you are going through something like this, if you have already been through something like this, or if you do, 
in the future go through something like this, you have a place where you can come and be heard and be gotten and be understood and be validated through my story. And I hope that that's what it does. And the feedback I get every time I do one of these is beautiful. Like I could cry. And I probably will this whole episode, if I'm honest. (laughs) Yeah, I really feel like the shit that happens in our lives happens for us to share forward. Literally. I'm I'm not joking. And people that are out there dealing with eating disorders or the death of their child or the death of their partners or, you know, horrible things, diseases, cancers, people that are out there, if you're out there dealing with really hard stuff right now, you're probably like, there's no way in hell I'm going to tell anyone about this. There's no way in hell I feel ready to share this. That's okay, my love. That's cool. What I'm saying now is being on the other side of all of the bad, crazy shit that's happened in my life, I can see that it all happened to me and for me to share forward. For me, the the greatest release has been able to share my story with people and go, hey, I feel you. Hey, you're not alone. Hey, I got you. And guess what? If you work through this and if you heal this and if you get a coach and if you get support and if you get therapy, whatever you need, if you work on this, you can heal this for yourself. And then when you heal it, you can tell others about how you did it and you can change lives. Like that to me is why bad things happen. Air quotes, bad things, right? So let's begin. I um, I was married for five years with my, he was my high school sweetheart, Gio. I met Gio when I was 16. I had just gotten out of a relationship with someone who was not good to me. And Gio ended up being, Giovanni was in my Spanish class. And I never noticed him, ever. I didn't notice this kid and he was in my freaking Spanish class and I'm sure he sat in front of me. But I was in a relationship with this guy who was treating me like total shit he was the popular kid and I thought I was nothing as you do in high school a lot of us just think we suck and this guy was popular and amazing and I was in straight tunnel vision so when he broke up with me my eyes almost opened up and I was looking around and my I literally my my head lifted because I was in such a a shameful place of I'm not good enough that I look down all the time so when I broke up with this guy or he broke up with me, I don't even remember what happened. I was in Spanish class and Gio walked in late. And he was hot. And I'm like, who's this guy? He's really cute. Oh, who's this guy? And I asked my friend and she said, that's Gio. He's been in this class the whole term. And I didn't even realize. I found out that he was a DJ and he loved DJing. Uh, he was a senior and I was a junior. So he was in grade 12, I was in grade 11. And we were in Spanish together, which I was failing. I failed all my fucking classes. And I'm Spanish, I speak Spanish, okay? And I was failing Spanish. Like, what the hell? (laughs) Never did homework. Ended up that I found that he was a DJ and there was a talent show. And I've told you guys before in the podcast that I I joined every talent show. I love dancing. I love being a performer. I still do. I miss it so much and I'm going back into it now. Because I I loved all eyes on me. I loved attention. I loved the, the performing, the being funny, the dancing, the being sexy. I just loved it. So I was doing a talent show and I was trying to recruit my girlfriends. And if they didn't do it, I was going to do it by myself. And I needed a DJ to mix me J-Lo songs because, hello, of course, I was obsessed with J-Lo. I was obsessed with merengue. Like, I love merengue still, which is like a fast Spanish dancing um, Dominican Republic kind of music. Um, 
and I, I was obsessed. And so I spoke to Gio, and he was doing a mix for us. It was like a merengue mix with a little bit of salsa, a little bit of reggaeton. And I was like, we need this, we need this song, and mix it together. So we got friendly, and he ended up being our DJ. He invited me to his house to watch him DJ, and I would sit on the stairs and just watch him. Like, he'd be in my on the side, and I'd be watching him, like, move his fingers and scratching and fading on the turntables. Like, he was sick. Long story short, we ended up dating and falling in love, and I was 16, so he was my high school sweetheart. When um, our dream had always been to live in California. He was born in California. And I wanted to go to California to be an actress. And so I was like, we're going to move to L.A. We're going to be, you know, I'm going to be an actress. You're going to be a famous DJ. We're going to live our dreams. And when he, uh, in the summer of his senior year, he joined the Marine Corps. And it's so funny because at that same time, I had joined the Army, the National Guard. And we didn't end up talking about this until we realized that we had both already signed up. So he had signed up for the Army. I'm sorry, for the Marines. I signed up for the Army. And when he told me, I'm like, what? You're going away for boot camp? I am too. And he kind of made fun of me because I joined National Guard and the Marines are hardcore. And I was like, no, nah, I don't want to go to the Marines. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm just going for college. So his senior year, he ended up going to boot camp. And I ended up uh, staying in school and waiting for him. And I remember him graduating. I couldn't go to his graduation. And we would write each other letters and keep in touch and you know, our relationship grew stronger and stronger. When he came home, he moved to California. He was based in California. And it wasn't where we wanted to be. We wanted to be in the in L.A. And they put him in the desert in 29 Palms. Or they called it 29 Stumps, which is out by literally like Death Valley, out by um, Yarra Valley. Uh, it's really far away. And he ended up going over there to California. I graduated and ended up going to boot camp. And while I was in boot camp, my senior year of high school, my trip was boot camp. Halfway through boot camp, 9-11 happened. So the towers got hit. They told us, you're all going to war. There's war in our country. Now, remember, we never had war. We didn't know shit about war, you know? I was, you know, I was born in 1983. There was no war stuff that we knew about. So now Gio, I call him. Once we found out what happened, they let us use the phones. I called Gio. He's in California at the Marine Corps base. They locked down the base. He's like, we're going. They're sending us off to war. And I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? As insane as it was, like, this this whole situation, you know, really drove us into scarcity of, like, fuck, if this happens, you know, who knows who's going to die, who's going to, am I going to be at war forever, is he going to be at war, will we get killed over there? So we ended up coming home, having a Christmas at home, and he said to me, look, we need to get married, and I was like, I'm not marrying you, and he's like, we need to get married, because if we don't get married, then they're never going to tell you anything, so if something happens at war, you don't know as the girlfriend. They tell only spouses. So he told me we were in his mom's bedroom in Boston, in Framingham. We we're in his mom's bedroom, and I'm crying, going, this is not what I imagined. I want a big J-Lo wedding. Like, I don't want to marry you like this. So ends up, we said, fuck it, let's do it. We're going to get married. So I'm, I went to California when I finished high school. Nobody knew I was moving. So they go to drop Gio off at the airport, and my mom knew, but his family had no idea that I was actually going with him. And they're like, what's happening, Erica? I'm like, I'm going with him. So they weren't happy about it. We ended up moving to California, and I ended up staying with one of the guys in his, um, in his platoon, one of his, his mothers in the city. So I lived in L.A. He was out in the desert. He ended up going on tours. He ended up going to Japan for a bit. He ended up going to Iraq for like 11 months. All of this stuff happened in between, and while he was away, I was waiting. 
I thought I was going to be an actress, ended up being so hard and I didn't pursue it. I ended up just working and waiting, working and waiting, waiting for him. It's like I had my life kind of on pause, really. Anyway, he went to Iraq. I remember him calling me once while he was literally in the field and bombs were going off. And I remember he was at the Sprite factory in Iraq. And he's like, I just went to Osama bin Laden's house and we found all this stuff in his house, like his wife's perfume and this and that. Like they went into his house and I was talking to my husband, who nobody knew we were married, but I did because I lived on the base. So I was Mrs. Lopez. And he was just explaining like the war and what's happening. And, you know, there was so much that he saw and so much that he went through. And I can't even fucking imagine. And luckily for us, after 11 months, he came back. I'll never forget that day. Like, it was, I can, I, I can smell the fucking air. Like, it was insane. His mom and his brother came to California. We picked him up. He was brown, super dark. And, like, it was crazy. It was just, like, I kind of felt like he wasn't who he was when he left. But he wasn't as shocked and awe like some of the other people who came back. And he explained and told me some of the things that happened. But you could tell he was different. And some of the shit that he saw that, fuck, must have been so hard to see. So he was back and I had felt so bad because this guy, straight out of high school, joined the Marine Corps and went to war. He hasn't lived. And in my head, I'm like, you haven't lived. You haven't seen life. You haven't done anything. So we ended up, uh, there was a lot of crazy shit in between there that I don't even have time or depth to go into. But what I want to get to is when we moved to to Florida. So I said to him, listen, you need to do your thing. You need to do your life. What do you want to do? He's like, I want to go to school. I want to be a DJ. I want to do recording arts and producing. And he was so good at making music. He was always good at that. So I found a school for him in Orlando, Florida. It was called Full Sail. And it was a school for literally DJs and people that made music and producers. And the best school. He got into it. We moved to Florida. And again, I said, look, I'm going to put my life on pause. This is me, by the way. He never told me to do this. I put my life on pause. I started working for the army full time. So my life was on pause, me waiting for him while he was in uh, Iraq and Japan. Then my life was on pause again because I wanted him to go to school. So do you notice I wasn't doing what the fuck I wanted? I wasn't living my life to the fullest. And nobody made me do that. That was my own fucking thing. So we moved to Florida. He starts studying. I'm working in the army. I'm not really fulfilled. And all of a sudden, one night, it was 2006, the year before he passed away. And someone invited us out. Uh, We had no money. We're like typical young students, kids that don't have any money. And they said, come out. We've got a VIP. We've got a booth. We want to invite you guys. His parents had got him the Fast and the Furious car, which is like the Mitsubishi Lancer Evolution. It was red. It didn't have a chip, so it went 240 like uh, Australian 260 kilometers an hour American I think it's 220 or 180 I don't even know but it's all the way to the end of the speedometer so whatever country you're listening in if you go all the way to the end where you fucking smash the gas that's how it went so we're driving there we end up getting drunk as hell and the crazy thing is about this is that the the place where we went had a stripping pole like a like a a stripper pole and I remember drinking so much that I jumped on the pole and started doing back bends and flipping and pretending I was a stripper. I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I literally was bending my back in ways that I've never bent my back before. 
And then obviously that was the time I broke my back, which I'm going to tell you about in a second. But it was crazy to move my back as much as I did. And within 25 minutes later, I didn't know that I was going to be in a car with my husband with no seatbelt on because I told him to put a seatbelt on and I told his friend in the front to put a seatbelt on and what did I do as the woman as the nurturer as the I'll give to you and not to myself again me doing this to myself I was in the back in the middle with no seatbelt on trying to watch make sure everybody was okay we were drunk as hell friends we were so drunk we should not have been driving and not only that but I was in the middle, floating around. Of course, uh, everybody fell asleep. I fell asleep, he fell asleep, his friend fell asleep. I don't know who fell asleep first, but I laid back, no seatbelt on, and we were driving a hundred, like fucking 260 kilometers per hour in Australia. And the car was in fifth gear, and the gas was pushed down, and he fell asleep. And because we were all asleep, nobody knew what was going on. And something woke me up, and it, we were 0.5 miles from our house we passed our house and we ran a red light now it's like 2 a.m and I literally woke up jolted up stood up in the middle my hands were in between two seats I was looking through the middle and I'm like fuck we passed the house we passed the house and I remember saying that and nobody responding and literally I could see ahead of us we were going to hit this ditch I remember my vision tilted I couldn't see anything ahead of me it went all black and that's when we crashed so what happened to us is that we ran a red light. Nobody was out. Thank goodness we could have killed people. Thank goodness we could have killed ourselves. Our car smashed into a ditch. The ditch pushed us into a tree. The tree shoved us. No, sorry. We were in a ditch. We hit a ditch. The ditch pushed us into a van. The van pushed us into a tree, which shoved us into a milk bar. So there was like a convenience store that was closed that we smashed against. Now, because we turned, we were going boot first, trunk first. So the back of the car hit everything. That's where I was. I was ejected out of the car. I broke my left ankle, was ejected out of the car 25 feet. I flew in the air. That's what the doctor said for me to have my impact. And I landed halfway on the wing of the car and in the van. So my body was half in and half out of two things. Gio smashed into the store. So on his seat, on the side where he was, on the driver's side, he smashed, so he got he was in a coma. So he hit his head, his brain swelled, his head swelled, and he was in a coma for 12 hours. The guy next to him on the end didn't hit anything. He just fractured his rib. Thank goodness he walked out of that car accident. So what happens? Ambulance, all this shit comes, and they did the jaws of life to get us out. They had to take us, me and Gio, in a um, helicopter and get us to the nearest hospital, the big hospital in Orlando, Florida. And one of his friends that he went to school with, because we had, a, we had y'all, I don't even have time for it, we had a crazy um, journey in that school and, you know, with trying drugs and doing all kinds of crazy shit in that time. And one of his friends was selling weed, as you do at 3 a.m., and he went, it was a college area, so you can imagine. He went to go drop off some, at someone's house, and he said, I saw you guys. I saw your accident. I don't know if he's the one that called the police, but he saw us. He said, you were pushing on the top of the car trying to get yourself out. I'm like, what? Like, are you fucking what? But you guys know, doctors say with adrenaline, you can run with broken legs because your survival mechanism kicks in. So they came, they took us to the doctor, and I remember opening my eyes, waking up with cold scissors, cutting my $80 Express jeans, which were expensive back then. Don't play. 
And I could hear Gio screaming in the background, fuck you, get off me. And I was apologizing for him. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. He doesn't mean that. We're just a little bit drunk. We were fucking wasted. What happened? I broke my back. I ended up having to learn how to walk again. Was in the hospital for 25 days. Gio had a coma for 12 hours. Nobody knew we were married. We had to hide our rings. My army mom, who's like Verma, who's like the woman in my the life of right now, that she's like my mother. She's amazing. She looked after me for 30 days. Like she looked after me the whole time. Gio's mom ended up coming and staying with us and healing and helping me heal. And it was insane. We almost fucking died. We went and saw the car, guys. Like, all four doors were taken off the car. All four tires flew off. This car, we shouldn't have survived, but we did. The next year, more drinking and driving. We didn't do it anymore. No more drinking and driving, I should say. We were, like, straight up. We're like, okay, cool. Our relationship, we're getting into a bit of um, trouble because we drank a lot. And that was our mistake as a couple. We drank a lot and we would fight a lot when we were drinking. And it, was, it wasn't good. We both had a lot of pain that we hadn't dealt with. Life coaching wasn't a thing back then. So it was, we were getting toxic. Our relationship was getting toxic. So one day, we had a party. It was the 5th of May. And it was a Cinco de Mayo party. Which in America, it's like Mexican holiday. It was the Day of the Dead. And we celebrated by watching one of those fights. You know, that pay-per-view fights. And we had friends over our house. And we were at our house. So we were drinking, which is fine. The next day I had the army one week and a month thing, the reserve army thing. So I couldn't stay up too late. So they got drunk. I got drunk. And I said, y'all, I'm going to bed. I went to bed. And the next morning I woke up at 7, 6 o'clock in the morning. And I had to run because I was going to be late to the army. I wake up. Gio's not there. I checked my phone. He called me at 1.20. No message left. Like, what the fuck? I'm calling him. I'm calling him. And I'm like, I got to go. I'm going to be late. And you don't want to be late to the army. And here I am thinking maybe he's asleep on the corner, on the car. Maybe he went to his friends. I don't actually know. There was no way in hell that I thought he had drink and drove because we weren't doing that anymore, right? We fucking almost died the year before. So I go to work. I'm calling his I'm calling his phone. It's ringing. I'm like, oh, there's hope. I called the hospitals. Nothing. I called every fucking prison just in case he was arrested. Nothing. It's 1145 and it's raining. And I started freaking out. And I told Verma, my army mom, ma, I don't think, I think something's wrong. I don't know what's wrong. Gio hasn't come home. My husband hasn't come home. I don't know what to do. His brother rang me. I was freaking out. So what happens? I go home. His friends are still there looking for him. He's nowhere where he normally would be. No drive through no parking lot, no, no normal places where his car he would be. So I go to my phone and I see that the hospital had called right before I left to go to work. So I missed it, right? But the hospital was ringing me a lot because I owed like 120000 and I still do, by the way, $120,000 medical bill from my accident that I had. I didn't have any insurance because silly fucking me when I was a kid in the army didn't say yes to the insurance. I should have said yes. So I had no insurance when that back accident happened. Now I'm $120,000 in debt and the hospital would always call. So I just thought, oh, maybe that's just a normal hospital call. But 7 a.m., the the Department of Billing doesn't call at 7 a.m. So I call the hospital. I'll never forget. They pick up the phone. And I'm like, hi, I'm just calling to see, like, my husband, is my husband Gio there? Did he get into an accident? Like, I'm trying to call. I can't find him. You guys rang me at 7 a.m., blah, blah, blah. They're like, sorry, man, we can't give you any information. Maybe you should just come in. I'm like, okay, whatever. My best bet is maybe he's in the hospital. And in my head, you guys, I was envisioning him laying in a bed with a white wrap on his leg, lifted up, and a bandage around his arm. You know, like, the typical, like, oh, I hurt myself. I got into an accident. I go to the hospital, and as soon as I get into the emergency room, the young boy, God, he couldn't hide his face. 
he was young and he must have been a trainee and he was at the reception desk and I said hi I called earlier they said to come in I'm just looking for my husband I don't know if he's checked in or not I don't actually know why I'm here but I'm just checking I can't find him and he looks at me and he looks down and he's like just wait over there ma'am uh, someone will be right with you I'm like okay okay cool and he put me in one of those rooms you know those rooms where they give you the bad news and I'm freaking out. I'm pacing. My, I'm with his best friend and another one of his friends from school. His best friend Ryan and his friend from school. And I'm freaking out. And I'm like, what the fuck? What, what do, you, do you think something's wrong? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm pacing. And what felt like, maybe it was five minutes. It felt like five hours. And, there, and I came out and I'm like, that's it. What's happening? What's going on, you guys? I need, hello, can somebody give me some answers? And this old woman comes out and she's like, listen, I've been waiting in this room across the hall. My husband's having heart surgery. You know, it's okay. Just calm down. Sometimes they put you in these rooms just for you to wait privately. So it's okay. Just calm down. She was really lovely, helpful. And I was like, okay. She calmed me down. I sat back in the room. Again, it felt like 10 hours. And the double doors swing open like fucking slow motion. And out comes a nurse in full bright blue scrubs and a man with glasses on and a badge and they walk towards me and they look me in the eyes and they look down and they say I'm so sorry he didn't make it and I'm like excuse me I'm sorry Giovanni Lopez your husband I'm so sorry we did everything we he could you know he didn't make it and literally when I tell you that it was my moment of insanity. And I believe insanity is like when you are so fucking fucked that you don't actually know what the reality is. That's where I was. I kept saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I'm sorry, I don't understand. Like I didn't understand what they were talking about. And I kept saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I didn't even know he was here. Um, are you? I don't understand. And they're like, it's okay. And I said, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. It's okay, honey, you don't have to do anything. And then something fucking clicked. And I lost my shit and I ripped my shirt off and I smashed the lamp and I screamed. And meanwhile, his best friend Ryan is on the floor, like yelling, kicking, punching. He's losing his shit on the floor. And I'm just like screaming. And then I come back to, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I feel it in my heart right now. Like the feeling I had, I was so, I was so out of it. I, I was like, I don't understand. I have to pay his car. His car's due tomorrow. And they were like, it's okay. It's okay. Like I was just fucking out of it. Not only was I out of it, but no, there was no support at the time. And then I grabbed the phone and I called his mom and his mom's screaming. We thought you were dead. We thought you were dead. Gio's not here. Gio. Like the police had come to her house, had knocked on her door, had walked down the steps and looked down as we did, as they did to me. And they said to her, I'm sorry. So she thought Erica and Gio are dead because last year this happened. They're gone. They've, 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 they've done something. They're gone. She thought I was in the car with them and I'm calling and she's like, well, my, like she's losing it. I'm losing it. I'm in the fucking hallway of the hospital. Half my uniform is off. I'm fucking losing it. And they're like, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, what the actual fuck? And the worst part about this is like, you know, we were left unattended. Like no one sat with me and said, like I should have been medicated or they should have taken me and sat me down and had someone look after me because I was not okay. And then I had to drive to go back home. Like I was not okay. I remember going outside and sitting on a bench 
and calling Verma, my mother Lopez. She's like my army mom, the one who looked after me when I broke my back. And she was like, I just literally picked up the phone and said, Gio's dead, Gio's dead. Like, that's what I said. I hope this doesn't trigger anybody out there. If it does, I'm really sorry, but I'm just being open and raw about how this was for me. And she said, what? She almost got into an accident. She was on her way to Mississippi with the army. She said, I'm coming back. I'm turning around. She doesn't, she's not related to me, you guys. Like she literally looked after me like a mother. She got the army to okay her to be an emergency leave with me. I sat on the bench. I hung up the phone. I sat on the bench and I looked over and there was a woman with a baby, a, a new baby. And she said, honey, it's okay, baby. You know, God blesses you and it's okay. She didn't know what I was going through. But it was crazy because there was a newborn baby. My husband had just died. There was a newborn baby and this woman. And I'm just like, fuck. Like, fuck. What the fuck am I going to do? And forever. This felt like an eternity. Verma Lopez saved my life. She came to the house. She took me. She came and looked after me. She stayed with me. She fucking stayed in the bed with me while I, I went back to our house where we lived with all of his socks and his fucking shoes and his jeans and his shirts. I had to go... I had to do all of these things that I was not equipped for. I remember going to sleep that night and waking up. I went to sleep crying, of course, and waking up and looking around and going, fuck, it's real. He's not here. And waking up in tears, like going to sleep crying, waking up crying. I, I think fucking the universe that this woman guided me because the series of events that was about to go down once the reality hit me was something that there's no fucking way I could have done myself. No fucking way. So the crazy thing is that, I don't know, I've never had anybody die in my life. I've never experienced death. I didn't know, you know, anything about it. And so, you know, to be faced with the reality that your husband has died. And when I came home, if it, it, to be honest, it feels like jambles and it's so helpful to talk about it. And I am writing about this. I've got my girl who's going to help me write my book. Uh, and we're going to record it all and all of that because I'm really good at audio and just it's hard for me to write at times. And I, I want to make sure because so much of this has, I feel like it's like mixture of days and times and months and years. It just feels like a jamble. And you know when something tragic or traumatic happens, you kind of, it's almost like you black out. So it feels, so bear with me as I like shuffle through this live. I'm not preparing this. This is me talking as we do this. So what I remember is that, you know, as soon as I found out that it happened, his friend drove us home. And since I had called Verma, there was like a million people from the army at my house, my army base people. And I was on the floor. I was losing it. Um, someone gave me a cigarette. I don't even know why I was smoking. I mean, I used to smoke ages ago uh, when I was in the army for like six months. I smoked and I, I, I was smoking. I was crying. Someone gave me like some alcohol to drink. I don't even know why. But I feel like people were trying to, I guess, help me to like be calm and chill and like be relaxed because I must have really been out of it um and then my friend uh Nancy who is who was Gio's best friend in school and she's still my homegirl I love you to death Nancy she stayed with me the whole time and I wasn't prepared for what I had to go through next because I didn't know I never had experienced death like I said like no idea so um <clears throat> first and foremost I had to uh I they they let me go to the car um, I, he lost his ring. They couldn't find the ring on his body. So his ring must have flown off of him and landed somewhere. So I think the first thing we did was we went to where he crashed. And that was full on. And it's crazy, you guys, because it was a flat 
plain, like a grassy flat plain. There was a little side ditch, like the road turns and it goes into a ditch. It was Dodd Road in um, Winter Park or was it Winter Park? Yeah, it was Winter Park and it was Dodd Road. Anyway, it, the ditch goes down and basically his car went into the ditch and he had no seatbelt on, which is insane because we always wore seatbelts. And the car flipped upside down. And I think that what happened, what they said to me was that his body hit the steering wheel and Gio weighed nothing. Like he weighed 110 pounds, which is like nothing. He didn't weigh anything. And his body and the impact when he hit must have, um, well, it bent the steering wheel. Like this, it was a pickup truck and the steering wheel bent to an L. So you can imagine the impact in his stomach and in his body and there was internal bleeding. And that's what they couldn't stop. So we went to the site. I lost it. Um, we had a, a dog, a pit bull named Blue, that we bought together, and she was with me, and she could feel it. It was just, it was just hectic and insane. And then I had um, Verma finally came down. The army let her be released from duty, so she could look after me. And all she did, literally, was look after me. She literally protected me, made sure my rights were protected, made sure that his shit was in order. Gio's family, as you can imagine, was calling and saying, "Can you send the body? Can you send the body? We got to organize the funeral arrangements." Meanwhile, his dad and his mom, his stepdad, had no idea that we were married. So when he goes to try to organize all the funeral stuff. The guy's like, listen, his wife is the one who needs to be involved in this. And that started a whole fucking war, like you can imagine, a battle. We didn't tell you, you know, them that we were married. How could we? You know, how could we have not told them? And, you know, we were married. And after a year, it was too hard. After three years, imagine, it was way too scary. And his family's Catholic, you know, so they weren't going to be cool with it. So we never told them. And now he's passed away and I have to face this. And they can't do anything without my approval. So the, in their eyes, I know that they were sad and they wanted their son. But in my eyes, I have no family. I'm in Florida. You know, I don't have anybody. Verma's the only one helping me. I, my mom is like someone who suffers from bipolar, mentally ill. So I didn't want to tell her anything, make her get sick. So I didn't really have any, so, no one looking after me. So thank God Verma was like, honey, you, need, you know, it's your husband. You, you get to have a bear, you get to have, you know, a, a, a wake here. You get to, you know, we covered you with insurance so you can pay for his things. And you get to have a say in this and that. And like, I didn't even know what my rights were. I, never mind, I was still not wrapping my head around the fact that he wasn't going to walk through the door, you know. And all of his stuff, you know, if you've ever had someone die, I think the hardest thing is the fucking material. His socks, his shoes his jacket, his toothbrush, like his fucking toothbrush, his hat, the fact that he had called me and I didn't answer. And for whatever reason, I never guilted myself like, fuck, it's my fault. I don't know why I never did. But I always wondered what would have happened? How did we do this? Like, what the fuck is going on? So I remember being at the hospital and asking the nurses if they could get his sperm. Like literally, I went insane. I was like, could we get his sperm? Because I want to have his babies. We didn't get to have babies. Fuck, it's too late. She's like, he's been dead for too long. I'm sorry. He passed away, you know, at 4.35 a.m. He crashed at 2 a.m. He rang me at 1.20 a.m. And by the time I found out, it was like 3 p.m. So that whole time, he was there. I had no idea. I don't know if it was so hard to contact me, but I could not believe that that's when I found out. So the series of events that was about to partake, uh, um, no one, listen to me, you guys, like no one could have told me that I was going to be able to do this or make it through this. This is why I say to you, if you're dealing with something hard, you don't fucking know how much strength you have. 
until you're faced with having to do these things. It's, it sounds fucking cliche, but it's true. So Verma's carrying me. Literally, my, my body's like a dead corpse. I'm in, I'm, I'm in full depression. I'm in full um, uh, insanity mode, meaning I'm, I'm doing all seven steps of grieving at once. I don't even know who I am, where I am, what the fuck day it is, what's going on. I'm like, I don't understand. I don't understand. I'm in that. Like, I'm stuck like, is this real? What the fuck is going on? Where are you? Like, are you coming home? Is this a sick joke? Like, anger, sadness, all of it at once. <clears throat> so I remember that morning we woke up. And she said we have to go and, you know, um, identify his body. And, like, I'm like, what? You know, I took Nancy. Me and Nancy went. And I was so in shock, you guys. Like, we went to this place in the city in, in Orlando, Florida. She drove me there. I'm in the car just staring out the window, just blanked face. I can't even speak. I don't know what the fuck clothing I had on. I don't know if I had any under, clean underwear on. I, I'm sure Verma fucking showered me and made me brush my teeth. Because I literally don't even know how I was functioning. And this is like day two or three that he had passed away. Day maybe the second, the next day. <clears throat> so we drive to this place. We get in the elevator. We open the doors and we're at a place where, you know, um, an, uh, a morgue, basically, where you go to uh, identify someone who's passed away. And we walk in and there's a woman behind a glass. Everyone's behind a fucking glass in America. And bulletproof glass, probably. And she's like, yep, just go that way. And she points us towards a way. And it's so fucking crazy because only, of course, a wife or a mother, a wife or a mother would know this. I'm walking towards uh, the way that they wanted us to go, and there are blinds. There's a glass window for you to view through the window, and there are blinds. And one of the blinds was twisted half open, and I could see his ear. <laughs> and it was like a top part of his ear. And I knew, I was like, fuck, that's Gio. Like, I knew every square inch of his body. Like, I know my husband's body now. Like, I know my children's body. Like, I know their bodies better than my body. And I saw his ear. And I was just fucking frozen. And then they pulled back the curtain. And he was laying there on a, you know, a silver bed with a white sheet over him. And I just couldn't believe it. I, I couldn't speak. I didn't cry. I didn't, nothing. And Nancy's fucking losing it in the background. Like, the background soundtrack to all of this was someone who loved him crying, screaming, losing their shit. And here I am, his wife, you know, his high school sweetheart, together seven years, and I couldn't make a sound. I was in absolute awe, like, shock and awe. And I remember saying to Verma, I want to go back there. Like, I want to go back there. I want to touch him. I want to pull the sheet. I want to see his stomach. I want to feel him. I want to know what happened to him. Like, is he okay? What happened? You know, of course, he's not okay. But I'm just, like, not in my right mind. And no one let me go back there. They didn't let me do it. I don't think I, I looked stable enough, possibly, to do that. And it, I thought it was like the movies. They let you in to these secret areas, and they pull sheets back, and you can touch the corpse and all that. It didn't work like that for me. And I was really upset. Still, I'm upset about that, because I would have... I That was my husband, like my son, like my like my love. And I wanted to touch him and feel and look and see the wound and just be with that, you know, that closure for yourself. So I didn't get to do that. <clears throat> we left. Then we had to go uh, to fax some paperwork for insurance, because in the military you have insurance. I had insurance. Uh, Gio had insurance for me. I had insurance for him, like health and life insurance. 
So it was $100,000, and I thought I'd never signed the paperwork, but I did, and Verma helped me to get it. And it was important because funeral cost and, you know, all of this shit. So we're doing all the fucking paperwork. The Red Cross is helping us. We're signing shit. And then um, we have to go to the, uh, the car place and pick up his belongings. Oh, you guys. Okay, so this shit's crazy, and it sounds crazy. Um, and I'm going to talk about some crazy shit right now, but I'm going to do it unapologetically and bravely because it's my truth and it's what happened. So we get to this car place and, uh, the, the guy, you know, I'm sorry for your loss. I'm like, thank you. You know, I see the car and the car's fucked. You know, it's not as bad as our red car that when we crashed, it's actually not as bad. And that accident that he had was nowhere near as bad as my accident that I had with him. Like we hit 50 million things and he just hit it. He just hit a plain field of grass. Oh God, I forgot to tell you. So the next day that we found out that he passed away, we went to where he crashed. I told you guys that. And the woman, this woman came out and said, hi, are you his wife? I met him. I looked after him. And I'm like, what? She took me into her house and and Verma into her house and Nancy into her house. And she welcomed us. She had tea and coffee. And she said, listen, I heard the crash. It was like whatever, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. I ran out. I jumped over the fence. I cut my gown. She was wearing like a nightgown and she cut it and there was a little like a tear. And she's like, this is the nightgown I had on. I want to give it to you. And I'm like, what? Like, this is crazy shit, right? She gave me her nightgown. I gave it to Hamish's mom. I mean, to Gio's mom. Um, she gave me her nightgown and she gave me this Bible, this ostrich covered Bible. And she's like, look, I'm, I go to church. I saw him. I jumped over the thing and I laid there with him. He didn't, he didn't suffer. He was face down. And he wasn't suffering. He was bleeding, but he wasn't suffering. And I prayed over him. And he was peaceful. I just want you to know that. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? Like, how blessed that someone was there with him. And got to pray over him. And, like, was with him, you know? And this woman was a fucking angel. And she said, I'm going to find the ring. It might have fallen in the neighbor's house or somewhere. It was a big open field, right? she said I'm gonna find it you know and apparently when that happened she called the police and they came and they helicoptered him out and I'm so like no one fucking called me earlier right like anyway it was meant to happen the way it happened and so um so now here we are we're we're going to the car place and we're checking um the car and um I'm in there and I'm and I am I'm never dealt with death but I am in there I am pulling things apart, I'm touching things, I'm picking glass up, I'm picking his, his belongings up, and they had a bag of his stuff, and his hat had all this blood on it, um, his shirt, his clothes, everything that, they, that there was there, his car, um, there was a, a jumper, like a, a sweater that he had in his car, and a glass, his, his perfume had broken, and it was all over the jumper, this sweater, and I wore that, and I kept that. Oh, God, I, I wrapped that around my head. I had that all with me all the time, 24-7. And I remember um, they gave me this bag. And before I left, I noticed the, the CD player. And I feel like I knew what he was listening to. So I ejected the CD. And, of course, I knew. I was like, I know exactly what track he was listening to. I know exactly what song he was listening to when he, when he crashed. I know. I know. So Rich Boy. It was Rich Boy's CD. We used to listen to that a lot. And um, 
I took that out. I took the bag. They gave me this bag. I took photos. I had all this stuff. And um, I came home and Burma said, are you okay? We're going to go. Are you okay? Are you okay to be alone for a bit? I was like, I'm fine. I'm good. So this is a crazy shit that I don't care how it sounds. It's fucking crazy, but it's, it's what happened. So I take the bag and I'm on the floor and I'm just fucking staring in the kitchen away to nothing. My dog's with me looking at me smelling the bag because she can smell geo and I started to put my hand in this black trash bag literally it was a fucking glad bag like a black trash bag huge with stuff and I put my hand in and I pull you know a hat out I pull a piece of you know the car out I pull this out I pull that out I pulled his I, I put my hand in this the bag and I felt something wet and cold and I'm like what is this and I pulled my hand out and it was, it, oh fuck, it sounds insane. So he basically, when he hit his stomach against the windshield, I mean, against the the steering wheel, everything came out of his body. So poo, blood, everything, you know, explosion out of his body. And so when I reached into his pants, I basically put my hand in his poo. And I pulled my hand out. And I was so... I don't even know what the word is called, you guys. I wasn't grossed out. I definitely wasn't grossed out, that's for sure. I was just like, oh my God, what? So I went to wash my hands. And as crazy as this sounds, the smell, it wasn't like a shit smell, like normal human shit, obviously, because it had been, he passed away. It had a different smell. And for whatever reason, it was so comforting to me. It was so comforting, like... That I washed my hands, but I kept my hands near my face with that jumper the whole time. Like as much as I could, as much as I could hold on to the last bit of him, which sounds crazy, but I'm a mother and it's not crazy, you know, like it's not like smelling some alive person's shit. It's like your death, your husband has passed and that bit of him, you know, and so I continued to look at his jeans. It was so hard for me to talk about this. Because for a long time I felt weird that, that that was weird or something. And it's not weird. And I've told some people about it. And they're like, fuck, of course, right? Like, are you kidding me? Um, so there was blood. There was His jeans had blood. Um, I'm sure they had to take his jeans off. I don't even know why his jeans were in there. But they were in there. And in the pockets was money with blood. All this stuff. And it was so insane to be faced with the reality. And the, the hardest part, I think, that we humans struggle with about death is that the person the physical body is gone the spirit kind of lingers depending on what you believe in but the physical body is gone yet all of the material things of the person stay so their shoes their socks their bag their hat you know like all of their stuff is here if I died tomorrow all of my stuff would stay but I'm not here and that's the part that I think we we humans, like, we struggle with, I struggled with the most, so that was fucking huge, and really hard, and then we had to get the body over to Boston, we had to get flights, emergency, you know, because I was in the army, the, the Red Cross really helped us to have emergency, everything, so when you have this kind of emergency, I was going to travel, I was going to take Gio's body, my dog, <laughs> I can't even believe I'm saying that, it's so crazy, Gio's body, my dog and myself to Boston from Florida, about a three-hour flight it was a delta flight we were they were going to go under the plane so blue was going to be with him under the plane 
I'm sure she was going fucking crazy because she'd never flown um, and smelling his, his body, whether he's alive or dead, like she can smell him. And then I was in the, you know, on the airplane by myself and Verma was going to come. Verma was coming, but she said, you're going to go. Um, you're going to be okay. You're going to, they're going to look after you. Hey, Gio's family, they're all going to pick you up at the airport. But before we go, she goes, do you want to have a private wake for him? And I'm like, what? What does that mean? She goes, I know everybody's rushing you to send him and send him and get him there. But you are his wife. You have rights. You're his wife. You love him. And you are allowed to do this. You can have a private wake for your husband. And you can be with him before everybody bees with him one last time. And this is the shit that I'm saying. Like, I'm so blessed. Because I had no idea that I could even do this. I didn't know what to do. She guided me so much. And she never had to do this herself. It was intuition. Really, it was spirit, God, universe, guiding both of us. So we drive to Inverloch in Florida, which is fucking miles away, three hours away or two hours away from Orlando, Florida. And <clears throat> she, she says to me, um, you know, some of my army people came and it was literally four of us, maybe five of us that were at this wake. So we sat in the car waiting for him to be embalmed, waiting for him to be cleaned up and all of the things that these people do to preserve the body, to fly to Boston, to have a funeral and a wake for the family. And, um, <laughs> fuck. And she, they go, okay, he's ready. We've been in the car for two hours waiting. And the funeral person comes out. It's nighttime at a funeral home. Nobody's there, just us. And she goes, come on in. And I'm like, what the fuck am I doing here? What's happening? Is this fucking for real? And we walk in to this beautiful little hole. Like a, like a wake, where they set up a wake and dim, dim lights. And out through the doors comes literally just a silver table with a white sheet wrapped over it. And Gio, his head pulled down. I mean, the rawest wake you could have. It was He wasn't dressed. He wasn't, I mean, it was literally fresh from being embalmed. Like the smell of him was the embalming flu, like I could smell and thank you for listening to this if you're still here thank you I am um, Nancy's losing it you know Verma's losing it everybody's losing it and I'm just staring at him really closely really scared to you know to touch him or anything scared that he's gonna go boo or like jump at me Cause I was very, I was always scared of ghosts. I loved horror movies, but I was, it freaked me out. So it made me really scared. And I looked at him and his eyelids were still wet. His ear was wet from the fluid of closing him and all of that. And I, I touched his hand. And when I felt like the cold hardness of that, I fucking lost it. I fucking unraveled. I fucking unraveled. And I needed to, I needed to because I, I wasn't purposefully holding it, you guys. I just didn't know how to let it go. You know what I mean? It unraveled and I unraveled. We had our wake. I feel like I rushed it because I didn't know how to be. And then that next day I was on a plane home to see his family. Who, to be honest, it felt like a war. It felt like a war against me and Gio, who wasn't here anymore, against his family. Not all of his family, but his mom, his dad. You know, how could you not tell us? Now that the fight about what is he going to wear, 
he was in the Marines. Remember, I told you. He did not give a fuck about the Marine Corps in the sense that, you know, me and him made fun of the army, how we joined and how it was such a cult and so, you know, conspiracy theory. And we didn't believe that Jesus from the Bible and, you know, the Bible things that we didn't believe military and the fighting the wars and about the money and the greed. Like we believed the conspiracy theory stuff, even though we were a part of it. And so when he passed away, they wanted to put him in his army Marine Corps uniform. And I'm like, no fucking way. Like, he would, I had to stand up. I was like, no fucking way. He wants to wear his Timberland boots, his baggy fucking jeans, you know, his, his uh, aviator or whatever it was. I don't remember. A- aviator? Amex? I don't remember the jacket, but it was like the sick ass jacket. He wanted to wear his fucking New Era cap, his Boston hat. He didn't want to be wearing, you know, the military costume. That wasn't who he was. And so I stood up and I'm like, nah, I'm going to pick his outfit out. I'm going to bring his Timberlands. I'm going to bring his stuff. We're going to put his music in there because he was a DJ. And so I was happy that I stood up. And I remember saying to the funeral guy when I was in Florida, I watched the Da Vinci Code and I really loved that they covered the Mary Magdalene in porcelain. And every time you went to see her funeral or her, her tombstone, it was porcelain and it was her looking beautiful. And I had an idea that I wanted to have Gio's face in porcelain. So that when I was to look at him, it was him. And technically it's called a death mask. I don't know where this shit came from, I'm telling you. The funeral director was an angel. He was an angel. He ordered this shit from Hollywood, this prosthetic stuff from Hollywood. And he, he played with it. And like he could have risked fucking up Gio's face for the, for the wake. He could have risked all this stuff. He made these masks for me. And he kept one and he sprayed it in gold and put it in like a shadow box. And now thinking back, I wish I would have done it when he was alive because a dead face versus an alive face is very different. And anyway, he did that for me. Again, I got to see Gio um, and I had photos that I've lost. All of the photos I've lost. That's another fucking podcast. But I had photos of me um, and Verma was taking them of me because I saw him and he needed a haircut, you know, and he always wanted to have a fresh haircut. So I I got in there at the the wake. I dressed him. I, I cut his hair. You know, I cut his hair. I cut his fucking hair because I was a hairdresser. And I'm like, Verma, is this weird? And she's like, no. No, you're looking after him like you've always done. You've looked after him. It's not weird. I'm like, okay. I'm cutting his hair. I'm putting gel. Put Paul Mitchell. This Paul Mitchell, like, white gel that when I smell it now, it literally brings me back there. I cut his hair. I put gel in it. I fixed his eyebrows. I trimmed his eyebrows. And... That was it. We had a wake. I stood in line as millions of people came up to me and hugged me and cried and said, I'm so sorry. It was fucking, it was that shit. I will never do that again. I will never do that again. It was torture. I was in a line of sadness and death and people came up to me crying. I'm so sorry. And I was just in agony with every new person apologizing, crying a line of it, like a, like an assembly line of death and agony and sadness. I'll never do that again. Not for any funeral I attend of my own, no way. It should have been a celebration. So we had his wake, we had his burial. And I ended up staying in Boston for a little while. I couldn't look at his brother, because his brother and him are spitting images to me now. I couldn't even, I, I, I can so see how people have a husband, the husband dies and they want to marry the brother. I can see it. And it sounds insane, but now I understand because his brother brought me so much comfort because it was like it was him. It was like it was him, the closest to him you could have. It was crazy. 
I love his brother to death still. His sister, his mother, I love them. I love them. And our relationship was rocky through the years with the father, with the father-in-law yelling at me, getting pissed off, the priest trying to figure out these conversations we were having. Um, it was hectic, man. It was fucking hectic. And then I ended up leaving. I left Boston after my birthday because he died May 6th. My birthday was in June. I stayed and then I left. I went back to Florida. They're like, do you want to stay here? I'm like, no, I'm going to go live. And I didn't know how to be, you guys. I didn't know how to be with death. I didn't know how to be with the recovery of this. I didn't understand. I was just thought I could delete and keep going. Okay, okay, that happened. Protect yourself, go. And after that, I just fucking drank a lot of alcohol. I didn't deal with it. I went to see this terrible therapist who I, I manifested the shittest therapist. I didn't want to do the therapy. I couldn't do it. I couldn't do it. And I just, I, I, I did not heal it until I came back to Australia. When I came back, when I came to Australia and I met my life coach. I did not heal it. I didn't even know how much pain there had been. And it was just shit. Like, it, 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 it was, it's to this day the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. To this day. And now, fuck, he's with me. He's with me more than ever now. He, I feel like he's brought my husband and my children to me. I, I am so much more in tune with him and in touch with him than I ever was. Even when he was alive. Even when he was alive. It's insane. I watched the movie The Shape of Water and I highly recommend. I'm going to leave you with this. There's more to come, but I, I gotta I gotta leave it here because it's it's hard, right? It's a lot. The Shape of Water. I watched that movie, and at the end, there was a quote, a poem that this man wrote, and it was an anonymous poem. But Benis, the 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 director Del Toro, I think is his name. The director Guillermo del Toro. He found this poem apparently, and no one knows if it was his poem or he found it from this Arabic poet overseas where he was looking for stuff in a library. And the poem closed so much for me in regards to Gio's death. And it's something like, I'm unable to perceive the shape of you. I find you everywhere around me because you are in everything. And it was it's the fucking most beautiful poem. So I, I really, I invite you to go look up the poem in the Shape of Water movie. If you have unsettled feelings or business around the death of someone you love. Because it really gave me a lot of comfort. And I hope it does for you. I thank you deeply for listening to me speak these words. And I don't even know how this has come out. Or how this has affected you or, or hit you. But you know, please please understand that I, I value you. And I, and I am here just to share these experiences. Because I hope that it brings you peace. Or it brings you some kind of lesson. Or it brings you some kind of closure. Or you at least feel understood. And you feel hope that you can heal these things. And now my relationship with Gio is so amazing. And every time he has a, an a, a anniversary, we light a candle, we say a prayer, we do something for him. My children will know about him. I'll tell you a story later about how I lost every single photo and every single tress, like trace of his stuff. Everything. I lost everything. I'll tell you about that later. But, um, yeah, hectic. Hectic and crazy. Thank you for um, staying with me on this podcast episode. It was... It was I have something I wanted to do for a long time. And as you can probably see now how long it took me because it, there is so much in there. Um, and there's still more. There's more detail. There's more things. But I think this is enough for me tonight, today. Um, I love you so much. And thank you for listening. And as always, I wish you all the best. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate your time, your ears, your support, your love, your questions. Please connect. You can head over to Instagram at the Queen of Confidence. 
or Facebook at the Queen of Confidence and hit me up. Or if you're not on Facebook or Instagram, email me, y'all. My email is erica at thequeenofconfidence.com. I cannot wait to hear from you. I thank you. I love you. This podcast is for you. Go out there and be great, y'all.